Memo and Inmungia, and you are listening to New and Old Treasures Podcast. New and Old Treasures Podcast, a podcast to discuss Bible, theology, and Christian discipleship. series on 1st Peter and today I want to talk about ethics. What does ethics have to do with the first letter of Peter and what does it have to do with us Christian disciples today? I will say that the pastoral issue in 1st Peter is important for us to discern and to kind of know what's going on in the background in the communities of faith that are addressed in 1 Peter because knowing that can help us to better understand and to make better sense of the message of 1 Peter for us today. So I, I briefly want to talk about that the disciples in these regions of Asia Minor, as you read 1 Peter chapter 1, you can see uh, different communities in, uh, in the region of Asia Minor that are suffering from a particular form of persecution. Yes, you hear that right, persecution. Uh, These Christian communities are facing suffering. And some key texts mentioning suffering in 1 Peter are chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 14 and 17, as well as uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, in verse 19 and finally chapter 5 verse 9 now from this text there are four that I think deserve mention chapter 1 verse 6 mentions that the Christian communities are grieved by various trials chapter 3 verses 13 through 17 mentions that the disciples are slandered and shamed by uh, society as well as chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Uh, the author of First Peter mentions that uh, Christians are maligned by um, their neighbors. And chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, mentions that Christians are insulted uh, for the name of Christ. So just by reading these uh, four texts, we can notice that the suffering has to do with a particular form of persecution. So the suffering in 1 Peter, let me tell you this, is not related to everyday common troubles. It's not related to sickness, to uh, mourning or death. Uh, it's not related to that, but it's this particular form of suffering, which is persecution. Now, what kind of persecution is this? This is not imperial official roman government kind of persecution i know that we hear a lot of that that i think there's a widespread idea uh, that in the first century christianity was officially persecuted by the authorities but that's not the case we have no evidence neither in the text of the new testament nor from primary sources of a widespread ongoing official persecution in the first century. Now, 
If First Peter was written during the final years of Nero, that's 64, 68 AD, which I believe it was, then we have no indication of official persecution beyond the borders of Rome after the famous fire of uh, 64. So basically, the, this kind of persecution, however, that is happening is related to a, a wider issue. The nature of this persecution is society and its values. The Christian disciples in these communities are suffering from persecution from their neighbors, their relatives, co-workers, uh, fellow mer merchant, merchant trade traders, and so the idea is that the disciples are being put to shame because they have broken away from society. They have separated themselves from society and its vices and idolatry. Now, if you and I were to see a Christian disciple in one of these communities back in this day, they will look like Jehovah's Witnesses to us. They do not attend the games in the amphitheater. They do not participate of the games, uh, not only because of the gore and the violence of the games, but because the games, well, they honor the emperors, they honor the rulers, they honor the pagan gods. Uh, probably they stop uh, Christians. They stop attending social gatherings like, hey, uh, here's my, my birthday. Come, we're going to celebrate and the rooms of the temple of this God. And so they stop attending social gatherings from birthdays to weddings to events, honoring the rulers, sports events, uh, musical events, uh, events in the theater, because in this time, in this society, in these communities, the gods have to do with everything. Everything is connected to the gods. Everything is connected to the gods. Trade is connected to the gods. Sports, entertainment, politics, economics, everything has to do with the gods. And so since everything is connected to the gods, if you convert to the teachings of Jesus Christ, it is going to be mandatory for you to break away from society because there is nothing for you out there. So the rulers, politics, economics, the famous Pax Romana, the Roman peace, everything is the will of the gods. And by retreating from society, Christians are perceived by their neighbors as subversive elements. They are called atheists because they do not believe in the traditional gods, they do not believe in the Olympian gods, for instance. And so they are challenging the very thread that holds society together. So they are perceived as a threat and they suffer persecution from their, from their neighbors. There is uh, an archeological example of this, a primary source that I would like to mention. And this is the Oath of Loyalty to Augustus in uh, Paphlagonia. Paphlagonia is a Greek, uh, is an island located in the Black Sea, 
between Pontus and Bithynia, and Pontus and Bithynia are two locations where communities are being addressed in 1 Peter. So it's really close in time and geographically as well. And this, this inscription, it is a Greek inscription dating from uh, the 3 BC. Uh, it's called the Oath of Loyalty to Augustus in Paphlagonia. It is basically a pledge of allegiance to the Roman emperor and his family by this particular community where they praise uh, the Roman emperor and his family as gifts from the gods and benefactors of society. And so all Paphlagonians, all, all members of this society, oath loyalty. They have this uh, oath of loyalty and they pledge themselves to make others, uh, their neighbors and everyone in, in, in this city, to obey and to support and to honor the gods uh, or, or else, or they will hand them those uh, that do not honor the emperors, uh, they will hand them over to the authorities. So if a member of the community does not honor the emperor, well, there is a charge of treason for, for that person. And so I can see um, I can see the challenge of being a Christian disciple when you are reading First Peter. So it must it must sound weird to us today. It sounds weird to me because we do not suffer when we decide to put our faith in Jesus. We do not have to abandon society. We do not have uh, to pose a threat to our communities. When someone today, uh, it depends on, on where you are, of course, but if you are in the U.S., when you decide to follow Jesus, some people will celebrate it. Some people will share it on social media because it's an honorable, an honorable event. Whereas for Peter's audience, it was a matter of life and death. So, what has changed today? I will say that a lot has changed. And because Christianity is so common today, I will say that it runs the risk of becoming too much in line with the norms of society, blurring any foundational distinction between the way of life and worship of a disciple of Jesus and that of the pagan neighbors around them. As a matter of fact, the very designation of the disciples today as Christians is a good example of how common it has become. The label Christian, think about it, is not something distinctive necessarily. We have Christian music, but we have other kinds of music. We have uh, movies, but we have other kinds of movies. We have Christian books, we have Christian movies, Christian music, Christian outfit and so on. And so what changes is just the term, the label Christian. This is Christian, and this is not Christian. So it's so common that it no longer represents a threat to the values of society in the same manner that the communities of First Peter represented a threat to their pagan society. I will say that Christian values are blurred into the larger society, thus creating a sense of belonging in this world. Yes, sometimes we think that we belong in this world. And that that doesn't make us feel as non-resident aliens. 
which is uh, the theme of, of our series, a non-resident alien, one who, although living in the world, lives in a completely different way, incarnating the values of the kingdom everywhere. So we follow the ways of the world, entertainment, music, movies, sports, arts, and so on. And so, But for these communities of faith, when you read 1 Peter, their lives are at stake. When they decide to commit to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, they are putting their lives in the lane. They are committing themselves to follow Jesus, but at the same time, they are going to be regarded as subversive, threatening elements of society. So what is the author's alternative? If, if that is the predicament of these communities of faith, what is uh, the author's alternative? What's, what's his response, his pastoral response to them is, he has this vision which is shaped by the holiness of God. And this is a major topic in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well, that God is distinctly, completely other. But at the same time, he has revealed himself in the person and in the teachings of Jesus Christ. So the disciples' response is framed within an ethical vision. Number one, I will say that holiness is the external source uh, for this vision. Um, it is not based upon human ideals, systems, structures, organizations, moral codes, and the like. Holiness comes from the nature of God. It basically flows from who God is, God the Father. And holiness in First Peter is the content of the revelation of the one holy God in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, in the first century world, this is a game changer for ethics. Why? Because Greeks and Romans in the first century did not rely upon Moses and the Old Testament for ethics. What did they have? They had the philosophers. They had Socrates and his disciples. Greek philosophers like Plato. Plato will say that happiness is the highest goal of moral thought and conduct. Virtues, therefore, are the skills necessary to achieve well-being. And philosophy trains those virtues. On the other hand, you have Aristotle. And he will say that the highest good and the end toward which all human activity is directed is happiness, which can be defined as the continuous contemplation of eternal and universal truth. And how do you get there? Well, one attains happiness by living a virtuous life and by developing reason and the faculty of wisdom. Now, there is another school of thought uh, in the ancient uh, world, uh, the Epicureans. They will say, get rid of the fear of the gods and the fear of death to achieve happiness and philosophy can help you do that and finally i will mention a fourth school of philosophical thought uh, the stoics uh, they elaborated a detailed taxonomy of virtue dividing virtue into four main types wisdom justice courage and moderation and each one of these four types is going to be 
uh, subsequently divided into other categories. What do these systems share? What do they share? Uh, they seek to regulate human behavior through philosophy. They impose an external set of rules, you can call it wisdom, you can call it virtue, to help humans liberate themselves to attain happiness. And in the Middle Ages, Christian philosophers like Thomas Aquinas followed the ethics of Aristotle and basically reinterpreted his teachings for Christianity. Today, the norm, the value in the postmodern society we live in is relativism, subjectivism. Uh, everything depends on whatever is good for you. If it works for you, congratulations, keep on doing it, but it doesn't mean that I have to do the same. If you like it, if you're happy that way, so be it. And so uh, the, ethics, the ethics of First Peter is highly Christological, yes. That is the foundation of ethics for First Peter, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is the incarnation of God. Now, this is the starting point to discuss ethics in any Christian system is the revelation of God and the revelation of God specifically in the person of Jesus, who Jesus is. That's the most important question, and that is the starting point of uh, ethics. His teachings, the teachings of Jesus, they become the interpretive paradigm for discipleship. Not Plato, not the Greek philosophers, and not even Moses in the Old Testament. And so the goal of the ethics of First Peter is not happiness. So maybe the goal of Christian discipleship is not happiness. I will say that the goal of ethics in First Peter, it is the formation of the character of the disciple through suffering. Suffering. Suffering means sharing in the sufferings of Christ in order to achieve glory. That is, sharing in the eternal life of the Trinity. And there is no shortcut. There is no alternative. If you want to fully participate in the coming glory that is going to be revealed in the second coming of Jesus, then you have to suffer. You have to break away from society. You have to break away from its idols. You have to break away from its values. You have to become completely other in this world, a non-resident alien. And by doing that, you are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And if you want to obtain glory from God, is what First Peter says in chapter 3, then you must suffer. You suffer not by doing evil things, but because you are going to be shamed by society. Just as Jesus suffered shame and crucifixion to ascend to the glory of God. And more on that in our next episode. You have listened to New and Old Treasures by Lenin Munguia. 
a podcast for Bible, theology, and Christian discipleship.